Hello and welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We're a church in Newmarket, Ontario, Canada that exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Thanks for joining us today. Biblical soul care, kind of lacking in the technical stuff. So here we go. All right, let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. Thank you, Joel, for those kind words. We do miss you. Appreciate you. 1 John chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. What we're going to look at this passage, we're actually going to focus on the last part of that chapter, verses 11 to uh, 24. But let's start here this morning. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. Isn't that great? We're here together, and we are the children of God. And that love was bestowed on us. We didn't earn it. We didn't do something great so that, hey, you can be my child. 
God adopted us and we're called his children. In this little book of 1 John, his, John's purpose is to give us the signs of life. How do we know if we have eternal life? Now, John wrote the book. It says in 5.13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John wants to give us some confidence today that we actually are God's children. What a great thing. That is, we've been singing about it. We rejoice in it. It should kind of like get us excited every day we wake up. I'm God's child. I don't have to earn it. He just loves me. He delights in us. That's a great thing. And so John wants us to be confident of that. What he's actually kind of pointing out here, though, is um, who is in and who is out. Like, who really is a child of God? That's kind of a question behind what he's saying. I've written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, how do I know if you have eternal life? How do you know if I have eternal life? Maybe the most important question is, how do I know I have eternal life? And so that's why John's writing, who's in and who's... We know we like to categorize things, don't we? If you, get a, you go into the, the tool room, into my garage and on the shelf, and there's a bunch of stuff lying there, and I, I take a, start taking a look at those long, pointy things. And I recognize some of them are nails, and some of them are screws. The screws have that windy thing down, right? So technical. And the nails are kind of smooth. And then we look at those screws, we get them separated out, and we go, oh, some of them aren't the same. Different lengths, so we separate that out. And then we take a look at them, and we go, some of them are got little squares in the head. That's a Robertson. Some of them have a little cross. That's a Phillips. Some of them have a little, just a line. That's a slot. And we, we put, make them all, we separate them out. Because there's nothing worse than when you're trying to fix something, and you've got four screws that have a Robertson head, and then the next one has a Phillips. You go like, oh, I need to change the head in my screw gun. Like, it's just no good. So we like to categorize things and get them organized. And let's be honest. We like to do that with people, don't we? Yeah, we got the big and the small and all kinds of different categories. And here's the most important one. Who's in and who's out? Who has eternal life and who doesn't? Because if they have eternal life and I have eternal life, we're brothers and sisters. We have the Father. We belong together. And that's good. But there's someone we're just not so sure about. Are they in or are they out? Can I just be really honest? Most of the time, how we categorize them is um, if, if I like them, they're probably in. But there's some claim to be believers, and they're just a pill. And I don't like them. And I'm just not so sure they're in. Or here's another way. If they agree with me. <laughs> I read a book once, and the guy agreed with me. I said, that's a great author. Man, that guy. I wish I'd written that book because he agrees with me. He's a smart man. Eh, we tend to categorize that way. If you agree with me, you're probably in. But if you don't, I'm just not so sure about you. So who's in and who's out? And John says he wrote this book so that we could know whether we're in or not. We try all kinds of things. 
to see who's in it if you dress a certain way. Now, when I was growing up, just let me tell you, anybody wearing a ball cap in church was out. <laughs> just saying, worship leader. Yeah, just kidding. Like, I, okay, I'm wearing jeans. Like, that was never done when I was growing up. You don't wear jeans to church. So how you dress? Um, how about the, if you paint your bumpers black? Because, you know, like chrome is, that's of the devil. Right? I, were there actually people that kind of categorized? Well, probably um, how, if you use certain words. Or you don't use certain words, actually. You would never, if, if you say that, you're probably out. Uh, how about this one? Um, well, just if you attend a specific church, probably ours, right? Like we're all in here because we come here. If they go around the corner, maybe. If you don't do bad stuff as defined by us, <laughs> right? So who's in and who's out? We've got all these ways of trying to decide. And, and the most important question is, uh, what about myself? How do I know if I'm in? Because that's what I really want to know. So John gives us some guidance in this. Now, if you read through this book, he tends to repeat himself. And he doesn't really define everything really, really tight like the way we wish he would. Um, but it's still helpful. And one of the most basic things is that if we're God's child, even though we haven't fully realized it yet, we want to be like him. I want to be like my big brother Jesus, my Savior. Does that sound like a little bit off? He is. He's our brother. He's our Savior. And we want to be like him. Because John says, if you have this hope, you purify yourself just like he is pure. I want to be like Jesus. There's something driving me to be like him. And so I think, like, what, what was he like? I'm kind of interested in that. So we watch The Chosen and see, did they get that right? I don't know. And we just want to, I want to be like him. And there's something driving us. And every once in a while, I do something, and I go, what would Jesus do? Yeah, probably not that. I, I don't think Jesus would have said that. I don't think he would have acted that way. I don't think he would have, like, let down the standard there. Other times I go, yeah, yeah, yeah I just like him. I, he, Jesus would have done that. Jesus would have said that. I feel really good about myself today. Because we're just, we're just something driving us. I want to be like him. And so, John talks about doing right and not practicing sinning. Like he qualifies it, first chapter, right? He says, anybody that says they don't sin, no, that's wrong. And if we do sin, we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. You do that regularly? And then he says, um, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And it's a good thing he's there because it's actually his righteousness that I stand before the Father with. And this is what it means to, to belong to him, to have eternal life. It isn't, it isn't my stuff that gets me there. It's Jesus' stuff. And so this is so important. Who's in and who's out? And I want to make sure that I'm in. And so John's given us some things. And, and he says this in verse 10. Uh, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoa, this is actually quite scary. I'm here to encourage you today. 
but we got to get through some stuff. He says, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God. That's a scary enough statement to meditate on, but then he qualifies it with this statement, especially the one who does not love his brother. And when he says brother there, it means brother or sister, the brothers and the sisters. Now, if you're not doing right, you're out. And especially if you don't love your brothers and sisters, you're out. That's kind of scary, quite honestly. Because some of the brothers and sisters that I've known uh, ain't that lovable. And I've probably been, been one of them <laughs> at some time or another. And perhaps so have you. And so that's kind of scary. So the context that we're talking about here is the signs of life. How do you know you're in? The signs of life, they include this, practicing righteousness and not sinning, and loving your brothers and sisters. David Guzik says this, both of these are essential. Righteousness without love makes one a religious Pharisee. Been there. Love without righteousness makes one a partner in evil. Probably been there. How do righteousness and love balance? Well, they don't. We are never to love at the expense of righteousness, and we are never to be righteous at the expense of love, and we're pretty good at doing both those things. We aren't looking for a balance between the two because they are not opposites. Real love is the greatest righteousness, and real righteousness is the greatest love. Love and righteousness are each most perfectly displayed in the nature of Jesus. He was both righteous, we read that, in him there is no sin, and completely loving. How amazing is it that he calls us the children of God when we're in him? He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son has not life. That's fantastic. Um, however, that sounds impossible, to be perfectly righteous and perfectly loving. Jesus did it, and me not so much. I don't know about you. This morning we're going to look a little more closely at the second part, loving one another. And the reason we're doing that is because the first one's too convicting, living righteously. Like, yeah, let's just set that one aside. Um, I think we have a better chance, maybe a better shot at, at loving one another. So hopefully we can feel better by the time we're done here. You ready to go for that? Dry? I'll try and encourage you. Trust me. This is, this is a better route to go. Okay, loving believers. First of all, is contrasted. Verses 11 to 15. We read, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So uh, love is, loving believers is, is contrasted. The question that we want to answer, because I'm kind of into soul care and counseling, and what we do is we ask questions and you answer them. And then we evaluate you on the basis of your... No, no, that's not... <laughs> we try and encourage you. Uh, what does God's Word say about that? So the question we want to ask is, how competent am I? Am I a good lover? Uh, do I love the brothers and sisters? How good am I? How do I do with that? So uh, I like another transition that just kind of gets right to it. Love one another, but not like Cain. We like that kind of thing, right? Love one another, but not like Cain. 
not like Cain. It's just so clear. Not like Cain. Okay, um, go, go, go to the store and buy some syrup, but not the cheap stuff. Right? We qualify it. So, um, listen, um, what else do we say? We, uh, we say, hey, go to Barry, but don't take the highway. Because I never take the highway. That's just always a bad choice. Right? Uh, make a campfire, if you're camping this weekend. Make a campfire, but not like Uncle Joe who used gasoline and burned the camp down. Like, don't do this, but not like that. That's what John is saying. He's very clear. Love one another, but not like Cain. And we go, oh, good. Because, <laughs> um, duh, that isn't love. You go, okay, you got the point. Are we feel like we're winning here? All right, love, but not like Cain. Okay, yeah, that's not love. Murdering your brother, not a good thing. Um, I have to be pretty bad at loving before I can hit the Cain standard, right? Right? So uh, I'm already feeling good about myself. But listen, why would John even say that? Why would he use, like, the worst example you possibly could? Well, consider the points of contact between John's example of Cain and his exhortation. We're to love our brothers and sisters. Yeah. There's a pretty obvious parallel here. Relationship. Cain and Abel were brothers. Like the very first siblings. And it went so wrong. I have five brothers. I tell people there were three and a half dozen kids in my family. All naturally born one at a time. People go, what? So yeah, we had foster kids on top of that. We had three and a half dozen kids. What are you talking about? Three girls and a half dozen boys. Three and a half dozen. Okay. Dad jokes, right? Poor. So I have five brothers. And let me tell you, every once in a while, like we'd get into it, and mom would say, just go downstairs and kill each other quietly. That sounds kind of chilling in this context, doesn't it? Well, let me, let me assure you, we no, we, nobody died. We, we're still all alive today, and we actually get along really good. We love each other. Um, but we are all related by faith, and we're spiritual brothers and sisters. And, and I would suggest that Scripture would indicate that our bonds are stronger, deeper, and more critical than blood. Now, I know there's a saying, nothing's thicker than blood. Blood is thicker than water. But we share the Holy Spirit. There's something tying us together. And so when it comes to loving the brothers and sisters, we would never murder our brother or our sister. Look at what John says in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Hate is the same as murder. Cain murdered Abel. If I hate a brother or sister, I'm as guilty as Cain. That good feeling about being better than Cain may need to be looked at. So what's, an, what's another parallel? Um, how about religion? It's a pretty subtle parallel, but think about this. Cain probably knew more about God on a personal level than you or I. No, no, we have the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, but Cain actually talked to God. Oh, we talked to God, I know. I don't know. 
Cain's dad walked with God in the garden. Saw flaming angels with, or angels with flaming swords. Like, how much of that did Cain see? I don't know. I don't know. When he talked to God, did God come like walk with him like he did with his dad? It was after the fall, so I don't know. But we have lots of questions and some speculation about what was going on. Um, both about Cain and Abel and hopefully about ourselves. Why didn't God have regard for Cain's sacrifice? It seems to me like he just brought the best of what he did. How is that bad? I don't know. What did he know? Maybe he knew something more. God clothed Adam and Eve with skins of animals. So there was a sacrifice already done. That's what Abel brought. Hebrews tells us Abel brought a better sacrifice than Cain. Did Cain know the basis on which it was a better one? Well, I don't know, but uh, I'll tell you this. Cain got immediate feedback from God. I don't always get immediate feedback. I do something bad. Sometimes it's weeks before the consequences come and smack me or somebody says something to me. But Cain got immediate feedback. Hey, if you do what is right, won't your countenance be lifted up? If you just do what is right, but if you don't, hey, be careful here. Sin lies at the door, and it wants to overpower you. Man, I wish God would whisper in my ear once in a while, hey, Roger, if you do what's right, that's going to go really good for you. But if you keep going this way, it isn't going to be good. Sin wants to overpower you, and you better be careful. You have to control it. And so many times I'm just going on being who I am. And I wish God would just give a little more warning. You know what? Most of the time, he has. And I willfully go my own way anyway. So back to the first part of this chapter about doing righteousness. Oh, man. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to be encouraging us here. We are the children of God. Okay, let's get back at it here. Um, God warned Cain that if he did not do what was right, he was in danger. And it says Cain was furious and despondent. His countenance fell and he was angry and sad. Anger, this is a biblical soul care part of this, anger can be an expression of self-righteousness. What makes me angry? When do I get angry? Is it because I'm actually, somebody's actually pressing me about whether I am righteous? Um, despondency can be an expression of self-pity. Oh, poor me. I'm doing my best here. And um, people are saying it's not good enough. Or God's not saying it's not good enough. And so these, these expressions of Cain, it's apparent that Cain knew what he had to do. And here's the key. And we're going to come back to this. Instead of humbling himself and coming the way Abel had come, because that's really at the bottom line of it, Abel brought a better sacrifice. Cain's sacrifice was rejected. Abel's was accepted. If Cain brought a sacrifice like his brother Abel, now, what would, I, I worked, I grew these crops, I brought them. That's not good enough for you, God. That's how I would react. But if he had just humbled himself, said, okay, God, hey, 
Abel. I'll trade you a bunch of corn for one of your lambs so I can bring a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Would you please let that happen? That's humbling. And if Cain had humbled himself and come the way God wanted him to, that's, he knew what was right. And he refused to do it. It was an attitude thing. He refused. I'm, I'm coming my way. And so he killed Abel because Abel's deeds were righteous while his were evil. Well, the love we share with each other sets us apart from the world and makes hatred between believers a sign of death and not life. So we need to think deeply about this. When I get angry or despondent, what is behind that? And what does it have to do with how I'm coming to God? Is it because God is shining a light on my deeds? How do I really feel about other believers, especially the ones who are not like me? Listen, I, I know this is, this is compl- a complicated subject because we feel really strongly about truth. Don't we? Like that's part of the reason we come here. Because I preach the word of God without apology. We do. And we feel pretty strongly about truth. And sometimes that sets us at odds with other believers who don't just see it the same way we do. And my question is, okay, I'm right less of the time than I think I am probably. That's actually scientifically proven. (laughs) So how do I feel about that believer? Now, hate's a pretty strong word, right? So maybe we can slip in underneath this one. I don't hate them. Do I love them? Do I love them? So we're to love each other, but not like Cain. So the question is, how competent am I at loving? How how good am I at loving brothers and sisters? Brothers and sisters. Who's in and who's out? Well, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to think, help us think about that. The second thing, loving believers is contrasted. Loving believers is costly. Verses 16 to 18. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So the question we're asking here is, how committed am I? How far will I go? I ask, how far will I go? Not, how far would I go? Because the fact is, we're not given a choice in loving. We're to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. I'm to do that. At some point, I'm going to do that. So how far will I go? John made it pretty clear. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Pretty clear, right? Pretty clear? Well, maybe. Ray Stedman says this. He quotes a, a little ditty. I've heard it before. Maybe you have too. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, that's a different story. <laughs> Right? Like thinking about heaven, we'll all be there together, it'll be good. Yeah, we sang about that, right? Have eternity to sing his praises. We'll be together. Um, But down here, 
It's difficult to love those who are close to us. It's those who are close to us who can get to us and irritate us. The bellboys and the nasty baggage handlers we can easily pass off, or the drivers on the 400 that we never take. They do not bother us because they're remote from us. But the ones who are near to us, if they mistreat us, we find it difficult to show love. But this is the test of true love. This is the essence of true love. It is a laying down of life, a giving up of self-interest that is the quality that marks God's kind of love. He laid down his life for us. That was a once-for-all laying down, and John uses in the Greek the aorist tense, which asserts that. Once for all, he poured out his soul unto death and laid down his life for us. Now, because of that, we ought to be laying down, and here he uses the present active tense, ongoing action, we should lay down our lives for each other, our brothers and sisters. Not in the same way he did, for we cannot die for another, but we can live for one another. The laying down here means the giving up of self-interest, the voluntary surrender of the right to meet our own needs in order that we might need the, meet the needs of another. It is the giving up of self in order that we might minister to another. That is the quality that marks genuine love. As he goes on to show, it will manifest itself not in word but in deed. So he says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's not only a matter of need. We, we can always find somebody in need, right? Brother and a sister, we can always find some in need. Although a lot of the time, the brothers and sisters that get together in a local church are pretty well on the same economic strata. There's a few on the lower end, and once in a while, we together have a hope fund, and we help them out. It's true. But let's be honest, most of us are doing okay. And we're not called upon that often to really step into a problem or a need. Once in a while, and we do. And sometimes, we just step in and help each other along in just small ways. They could do it themselves, but we, we love each other, so we help. Now, there are needs, and uh, I, I don't know if this church has done it. Lots of churches get together, and they get uh, together with an organization, and they sponsor children and send money over, and that helps a whole community thrive. And a lot of organizations do that through the church, the local church that's in that community. These are good things. Because we love the brothers and sisters way over there and we help them. And God's name is glorified in those communities. And we, that's a good thing that we do. Margaret and I do that the same thing with Teen Challenge. We sponsor them. We, they send us a guy's photograph or they send you a picture of a child. And you pray for that. It's a real person. And you pray for them and you're concerned for them. And the money that you give is helping that person. Because we love the brothers and sisters. And we're... We're there to help. And, and that's a good thing. I'm not denigrating that at all. However, let's be honest, that can still be somewhat distant. And so, when I see a brother or a sister and they have a real need, how do I come alongside them? And, and am, I, am I even willing to? I think um, most of the time we are. John makes it clear that this is really a matter of the heart. We're not really looking at, like, do you give money or don't you? 
It's really a matter of the heart. When I see a brother or sister in need, whether near or far, am I moved with compassion to meet the need? How far will I go in laying aside my own interests for their interests? Um, let me just uh, read from Philippians chapter 2, if I can find it here in my notes, because I did have it. Ah, Philippians 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and those are four different things that, that are assumed, yes, yes, there is. There is that. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You before me, you're more important than me. That's not really how we go about things. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, okay, I'm to look to my own interests, but not only that, also to the interests of others. So as much as I'm interested in my own interests, my stuff, I have to take an interest in your stuff. Because we love each other. We're brothers and sisters. That's what love is, laying down our lives for the brothers. Now, I know that it's hard to meet needs. How far will I go in laying aside my own interests for someone else? As part of my role in soul care, I often was put in a position where somebody had a need and we're trying to meet it. We're trying to help them out. And I'm just going to tell you up front, it's hard to help people. Now, I know if you needed help, you would not be hard to help. I know. But it's hard to help people. It really is. And, and here's part of the reason. Part of the reason is because um, with, when it's hard to help people with respect for their autonomy for their preferences, for their style, for their choices. It's hard to respect what they want because I'm here to help and I've got this and I know exactly what you need. So bringing help with wisdom and humility tests my ability to love. So actually it's a really good thing to really step in and try and help the brothers and sisters because it's going to test your love. Because when I step into that, I find out I've got opinions. I didn't think I had opinions. Whatever you want, it's good until it's not. I realize I have an opinion and I have preferences and I have a certain style. Clearly my style is better than your style. That's why I look like, never mind. So I would make different choices. And so when I step in to help you, because you have a need, I get pretty mm, tense when you want me to meet your need your way. Because you have an interest and you have a style and you have a preference and you want it this way and I'm here, I'm here to take care of your interests. I'm going to put your interests ahead of mine. But man, 
painting that, that color, that's just wrong. You're actually wrong. I'm not sure I want to help you anymore. You see, my, test, my love is being tested. It's just being practical. I told you, John's very practical. Who's in and who's out? He says it comes down to really, really practical things. What you believe, what you do, what you know. Yeah. And I'm just telling you, loving other people is hard because it begins to expose how right I think I am and how smart I think I am and how much better I think I am. And God says, maybe you are. But that's not the point of loving. It's to put their interests ahead of your interests. Lay down your life. Lay down your preferences. Lay down your rights. Lay down. So what about, what about, because we always, okay, back up here. What about when wisdom says saying no to them would be really the most helpful thing to them? What about when wisdom says doing it my way would be better than their way? It'll be better for them. I'm just here. I'm just here to be better for you. Yeah, okay. How much difference is it really going to make? Now, sometimes I fully believe sometimes I've had to do it. Sometimes wisdom says, uh, no, that's not going to be actually going to be helpful to you. So, no, we're not going to do that. Mm, that's a hard, that's a hard conversation. But because I love them, I'm in it. I could just avoid all the hard things, just like let them be. But that's not loving. And so we got to get into this, and it's hard. So uh, here are two book recommendations for digging deeper about this. They're both by the same author. The one most pertinent to this topic is The Truth About Us by Brent Brant Hansen, Baker Books. The truth about us. The truth about us is I'm not nearly as right as I think I am. I'm wrong a lot more than I admit. As a matter of fact, historically speaking, I have revised my history to make myself look a lot better than I actually am. And when somebody who knows the truth comes along, usually my wife, well, then she's wrong. And that's not going to go well for us. <laughs> Let me just tell you. So the truth about us. And the other one is Unoffendable, which is a significant book to read if you're a believer. Christians should be the most unoffendable people around, and yet we are so easily offended, and particularly by other believers. Just saying. Okay, let's go. Um, this isn't going as well as I thought it would. Loving believers is contrasted. How competent am I? Loving believers is costly. How committed am I? And here's the, loving believers is consistent. Now the question we're trying to answer here is really a result of answering the first two questions. Because um, I kind of get the feeling, for myself anyway, that um, I'm not as competent as I hoped. Am I in or am I out? On the basis of how competent I am at loving the brothers and sisters, I'm not as confident as I thought I was. Okay, how costly? How far am I willing to go? Am I in or am I out? On the basis of answering that question, I'm not sure I'm committed, as committed, 
to the level of Jesus laid down his life for us, we should lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. I'm just not sure that I've hit the mark. Now, in the beginning, I felt really good because, man, I don't have to be very good at loving to not hit the Cane standard. But I'm honestly, as I look at these things, I'm beginning to wonder if I really had to be examined on how competent I am at loving brothers and sisters and how far I'm willing to go and get into it, into the dirt of it with brothers and sisters. I'm not as confident. And yet John said, I wrote this book so that you can know. And I think answering this third question, how confident am I, is going to be really important. So how confident am I? Hate is a pretty strong word. So I don't hate any brothers and sisters, so I hope I get a pass on that. Um, maybe there are some needs that are up in my grill that I've been ignoring, and I just didn't want to get into it. Particularly with the ones I'm supposed to be doing life with, my church family and my home family. So how is John's letter affirming me so far? Well, let's consider this. Loving believers is a consistent part of my life. It fits with our identity and our communion with Christ and the Spirit. So John says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Because, like, not reassure my heart before you, because you don't decide. God decides. And so how can my, I reassure my heart before him? He says, For whenever our heart condemns us, feeling a little bit like that right now, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So how can I get to the place where my heart's not condemning me? Well, we're going to come back to that and face the question that Cain faced. All right? And so uh, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him, and by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Now, in one way, John's letter here is not about whether you were actually saved or not. Now, he affirms the reality of having fellowship with God and knowing that we're in. It, it really is a practical book that tells us what the children of God look like and know and do. So he kind of assumes passing from darkness to light because we believe in the name of the Son of God. He says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have the Son. I know I have the Son. I believed in the name of Jesus Christ. I received the gift of eternal life from Him. So what reassures my heart, even when it sometimes condemns me, is the realities of the signs of life. So here they are, assurance of being in the truth. We do His commands by walking in righteousness. Not perfectly, but consistently. 
confessing sin and copying Jesus. It says that in verse 19 and 20 here. We shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. We, we have what John says. He who has the Son has life. We don't walk in the darkness. There's been a change. I'm not doing the same things that I used to do. Not perfectly. I have the assurance of answered prayer. I'm praying in accordance with his person and purposes. Um, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. My prayers are in accordance with God's will. This is a whole area of teaching that's for like a whole series of messages because there's a lot of teaching on prayer and very little application. Just say it. All right. And we have the assurance of abiding. The Spirit is given to us and testifies to our spirit that we belong to Him. He convicts us and He leads us. And in the middle of these three assurances of being in the truth and having answered prayer and, and the witness of the Spirit, there is this consist, consistent loving of the brothers and sisters. So is this a sign of life in me? Am I loving consistently and naturally? Dallas Willard says, mature Christ-like character is shown how one spontaneously responds to one's enemies in love. Dave Harvey, reading that quote, said, that's really good, but maybe unnecessarily narrow. How about um, mature Christ-like character is shown how you respond when you feel you are sinned against it's not just our enemies we're called to love. So how do you respond when you've been sinned against? How do you respond to your enemies? John is writing as a reminder so that we will know that we have eternal life. Loving other believers gives us such assurance. But I think John also recognizes that we struggle. And again, these are hard issues. We're talking about our identity. We have a new identity in Christ that permeates our whole being and our life and our actions and relationships are transformed by knowing God and being His child. Our union with Christ, our communion with the Spirit, through the Spirit, our communion with God, and through the Spirit, our communion with each other changes our perspectives and motivations from being self-focused and self-centered to God-focused and other-centered. Not perfectly, pro but progressively and actively. A prime example of that um, is how we love. So how confident am I? How competent am I? Mm, okay, I, I got some work to do there. Um, how far will I go? How, how, uh, how uh, committed am I? Okay, I probably have some ways to go. But how confident am I? I'm confident that I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm confident that I'm a child of God. I'm confident that I have brothers and sisters that are sharing this walk with me. And I'm confident that I love them. Not perfectly. But I'm committed. And we're going to do this life together. And so here's the plug. Get in a small group. But don't just get in a small group to sit around and have some coffee and cookies and talk about the message. Let's get in a small group 
so that we're near to people and so that we can see some needs and so because we love each other, we're willing to get into the dirt and work with each other. And let's, let's, let's get this thing done. Let's, let's lay down our lives. Let's put your interests ahead of my interests. Not to the exclusion of taking care of my stuff, but let's do our stuff together. And that's really what we're trying to be about here. So, how competent am I? Okay. How committed am I? How confident am I? Let's pray. Father, we have to confess, Lord, when we really look at the truth of your word, just how exacting it is, we want to confess that our confidence may be a little bit shaken today. So, Father, we want to affirm our dependence on your Holy Spirit. Lord, your word says you pour our, your, your love into our hearts through your Spirit so that we can love you and we can love others. And so, Father, we want to recognize today that we're totally dependent on your Spirit to love. Father, especially to love with wisdom and humility. Father, we want to recognize we're dependent on the Spirit to be like Christ. Father, we want to recognize we're dependent on your Spirit for reassurance in the uncertainty of whether we're getting it right in loving each other. And Father, we certainly depend on your Spirit to respond to you right now, not like Cain, who really used his religion for his own purposes. But Father, to respond like Abel in submission to you. And so, Father, help us to have an attitude of submission that we will be committed to allowing your Spirit to lead and guide us in just how far we need to go in putting others' interests ahead of us. And so, Father, I pray that this uh, body of believers would be known by their love for one another as your Word has encouraged us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.